0: Welcome to At The Core, the intersection between neuroscience and fitness, where I have the opportunity to speak to amazing movers and health and wellness professionals in where I get to explore how they draw movement and fitness with neuroscience. Today's guest is Tara Lynn Emerson. Tara is a fitness professional and influencer. She has been featured trainer and coach for TRX Training Club, Pop Sugar Fitness, iFit by NordaTrack, FadFit Fun TV, Nucleus Core Pro, and Equinox. Having a father who was a professional tennis coach, Tara has been an athlete since she was very young. In her teens, she fell in love with weight training and subscribed to a slew of fitness magazines. Now, as a personal trainer and movement re-education specialist. Tara is passionate about showing others how strong they can be. Feeling strong has always been important to her because as a young adult, Tara was diagnosed with a neuromuscular disease in her lower legs and feet. This is an ongoing obstacle she faces and refuses to let the disease control her life. You will notice her workouts always include a lot of core work and proprioceptive training, something we will get into later. Welcome, Tara. And thank you so much for being here today. Hi, so glad to be here with you. Yes, I'm really, really excited. And you know, there's so much I could talk to you about with this, but I wanna kick it off with talking about how we understand performance and reduction in pain with utilizing the brain and all these things that neuroscience and fitness combine with Uh, And we are all brain-derived, but it really starts with motivation. And and that is also housed in the brain. And if we think back to, like, high school days when we learned about inertia, and for those of you that are like, what are you talking about? It's basically the idea that states that a body that is at rest will remain at rest and until acted upon. And it needs to be acted upon by an outside force. And in the world of fitness, that outside force could be – you having back pain. It could be you wanting to lose weight. It could be you wanting to get strong. It could be you having had surgery. There has to be some sort of external force oftentimes that produces that movement of motivation to accomplish something. Well, you have an interesting aspect to one aspect of your, of your work is that you motivate people through the virtual platform and you do this without knowing them, you do this without seeing them. So how do you get people to be motivated? How do you tap in to what will motivate them and create that inertia? Oh, that is a loaded question, um, but a really, really good one.
1: If if I were to ask, let's say, people that work out with me in real life, like at the studio, at the gym, um, what their favorite thing about my classes? is, they will say your energy. Like your energy is like hands down, like the reason I'm obsessed with you, right? So- um one of the things with like this digital platform is how do i translate energy through this little hole right and that comes in multiple like ways one is like me talking with enthusiasm you know like you bringing me on the show i wanted to come on this show Mm -hmm. because you were so dang excited about neuroscience (laughs) right if you weren't excited about it why would i even want to come and talk to you right so you have to find a coach that's like excited um and gets you excited and then i tend to wear a lot of bright colors um i think that's a part (laughs) of my glow that is like attractive to people and the truth of the matter is like if you're going to spend an hour working out with me you have to kind of like me like including my cheesy (laughs) (laughs) magic If you think about it, like I don't talk to my mom for an hour every day, but I'm gonna spend an hour with this person. And whether it's personal training or it's group fitness and you're following along, you gotta wanna be there. And if you didn't enjoy being there, you're not likely to come back and stay moving. Yeah. Clean it. Um, You also wanna feel seen. And so how do I make somebody feel seen and known through this lens? even if I can't see them or I don't know their name. And um, one of the comments I'll get from people is they'd be like, I swear you can see me. Like somehow I just feel like you, you saw me. Um, and that comes from Amazing. years of teaching group fitness in person though, is like seeing a large body of people, knowing what lights them up, knowing when they're gonna start getting tired, when I'm gonna start to get that like glazed over look in their eye when they're not paying attention anymore. So I orchestrate my classes and my sessions in the same way you would orchestrate a great show. Like there's going to be crescendos. There's going to be ebbs and flows. We're like, I brought them way up here. They worked really, really hard for me. And now I got to I gotta bring them down a little bit. I got to give them some relief, give them some jokes, some play, some whatever it takes to keep them interested, but to like, down regulate some of that intensity and then bring them up again and so that they feel like they're on this journey with me and um knowing when like if i have you down for push-ups and the next thing is lunges is that you're probably going to linger on the floor till the last minute and so i'll be like come on (laughs) this and i can't see them but in my head i know what that feels like when you're tired and it's hard to Mm. get off the thing and you're like you're lingering and kind of dragging, or you might even wanted to, because there's 20 seconds of rest, check your phone. I'll be like, don't check your phone. We don't have time for emails. We got to go. Let's do this. Let's do this. Um, so I have to get in a mental space where like, if this person like actually had their camera on, what would I be seeing? And then trying to speak to them directly. Um, that's it. A- but every that's like what if motivates me and you is very different from somebody that's brand new to fitness. right Right? a regular exerciser they're motivated by numbers by performance they want to see that they're getting better every single time and then somebody that's brand new to fitness it's just like they they just want to make it through that that workout like Mm -hmm. just survive the other side so you need to like kind of do a little more hand holding and like just tell them that they're awesome and to keep going and all those types of things
0: Well, I think, I think that's the interesting aspect of it. You know, you know it, whether people realize it or it's just happening within them, that aspect of those crescendos you mentioned and that aspect of motivation and inspiring and enthusiasm and energy and all these aspects. Well, immediately what happens is like this dopamine release, right? This endorphins, this idea that like I can, and she thinks I can, and now I'm thinking I can. And And all these literal neurotransmitters that take place in our brain, that you get through that workout, you enjoy that workout, you end it with a smile, it brings you back. And over time, that becomes a new habit, right? But it takes that first step and it takes, you know, there's enough trainers out there for each person. But I think that's the thing, right? Connecting to it on a much deeper level than you can process consciously to how it actually makes you feel inside and how it changes what you're looking for
1: yeah um absolutely I, you get like there's there's the why for people who have been exercising for a long time you don't even have to tell them why they're doing this stuff right 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 and then there are people that they part of their encouragement is to reconnect to their why so Sometimes that's like people want to look good, right? Like they want to get slimmer. They want to know that they're um, burning a lot of calories and that their heart rate's up and they're in their fat burning zone. So sometimes I use verbiage like that because I know who that motivates. And then there's people that need to know that they need to do a lunge because functionally they need to constantly be able to get themselves up off the floor. That's their independence. And so that's motivating to another demographic, right? and your athletes want to get better so maybe we're doing glute work and i'm like hey my runners my cyclists you are going to get stronger and faster and better at your sport if you make sure to continue to work out your glutes so you have to like target all these people at once and keep them interested and motivated but know that there could be a broad range of people working out with you at the
0: same time well and it's also changing that that conversation that they have in their brain right the the constant chatter we have in our own mind the amount of times we're able to tell ourselves we can or we can't how do you in your own life or for others how do you change that conversation to be able to accomplish the goals you're looking to accomplish Mm.
1: if i told you that i didn't have dark thoughts during a hard workout i would be a complete liar and I was doing a workout the other day, if you've ever seen the the Versa Climber, it's like, Mm -hmm. they call it the (laughs) machine, whatever, but it's an intense, speed-driven workout, and it's hard. And uh, we were doing intervals, and I think I quit mentally in my head about five times. Like I came up with Oh!
0: I actually saw that video, I saw that video, and I quit just watching it. I was like, this is insane, this is crazy. Because when you
1: hit the pain pit, you will start to talk yourself out of it and you will make up like the dumbest one I came up with was that my hands were starting to get sweaty. And if my hands are starting to get sweaty, there's a chance that I could fall off this thing and hurt myself. There's no way my hands are sweaty enough for that to happen. But like I noted it as like one of the silliest things that I tried to convince myself as a reason to quit and um, getting yourself to not quit in those moments. And I'm not saying you're gonna be successful 100% of the time, because you might end up deciding that you need to quit this interval. But I think the key is like to always keep trying because quitting does have to happen sometimes. You have to quit things. Yeah. Maybe you quit a little earlier than you wanted to. You quit 10 seconds before you wanted to. Maybe you quit one rep before you would like anticipate, like I'm gonna do 10 reps and you had to quit at 9. And those things happen. But the more you show up and and you do five more seconds than you thought you could have or or two more reps than you thought you could have, you start to build this confidence. And this is brain-driven, right? Like, you made it through that before. So your brain anticipates things will get hard, but I also know that I'm going to be okay. And that I don't have to flee right away.
0: And if, even if you do, for any reason, quit early, right? You you succeed to it earlier than you needed to. If you are able to have that true inner dialogue with yourself and say, and recognize it, say, I, I felt that I needed to do this, but I probably actually didn't now, I'm totally safe. That next time you realize that and don't, right? Like you use that not as a quitting failure, but as a as a learning tool To make you more confident, make the threats go down, and make you feel more secure with your decisions to push past those comfort zones next time.
1: Absolutely. And some of those conversations, the the hard part isn't even necessarily the stuff that happens in the workout. It's like getting to the workout. Like, what are all the reasons in the morning when your alarm goes off at 6 a.m. that you will decide to snooze it and not hit that workout, right?
0: Yeah. Oh, recognizing with
1: yourself too that I know that if I stay up past ten, that I'm been very very likely when my alarm goes off for me to go to the gym early in the morning. I'm going to say, Oop, well, I stayed up late, so da 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 da. So exactly.
0: Well, and so as we talk about this, as we talked about, for example, having to give up on an interval early or feeling that it's not appropriate for you. That conversation of understanding the difference between pain and injury, a reason to stop versus a discomfort past your comfort zone, which is actually going to get you stronger and help you actually build your goals and, and attain what you're trying to look for. How would you explain this to someone? How would you go about teaching someone to recognize these differences? Mm.
1: the honest truth is I feel like it depends and that's like a gray area with whomever you're dealing with and maybe what injuries or preconceived um, conditions they have um, I can honestly say I don't always do the best job with myself because I've built up this mental resilience where sometimes I have to decide yes you could do that but is that smart is that smart in the long run if that means you're going to have an injury and your shoulder's going to hurt for two weeks is it worth that extra rep right Right. now is that strain or are you just being like you know out of your comfort zone and feeling some of that intensity um Mm -hmm. so it's it's hard it's hard to say um Obviously, if you're doing something endurance-wise, I feel like you can push past that discomfort and go a little bit longer. But sometimes when it comes to picking up really heavy weights, I think we have to be smarter about yeah. something that might be painful for your body, even though you want to be like cool gel, you know, like I can do that weight kind of thing.
0: Right. A lot of a lot of the neuroscience world talks about the one rep brain free. All you need to do is one rep, pain-free, whatever that is, whatever the weight is, whatever the exercise is, not to say, okay, now I did one rep, let me go 10 reps. It's it's not the same thing because there is a sense of endurance, stamina, muscle load, loading tensions, all these things that are going to create that impact of whether you have the skills to do 10 reps. But this idea of one rep, pain-free, and being able to build the confidence and knowledge in your brain to understand what is maybe discomfort versus what is actually causing pain or hindering your current skill set,
1: mm-hmm. and is that one rep pain free? Do you know where your form should be, and are, are you able to maintain that?
0: Yes, well? absolutely.
1: So there's a lot of dimensions to that. Um, but like I said, like sometimes I don't always do a good job of that either. Because, um, but then you learn from that. Right. So every right. time that I've done something I shouldn't have, if I had been smarter, I learned from that next time. And, you know, I don't try to be that person um, and I'm a little bit smarter and more like cautious with my own life
0: force, this vessel body thing. Yeah. Well, talking about vessel and body, um, there there have been scientific studies showing that, you know, a lot of us know what we should be putting into our body. And what we should be eating like the reality is that someone said okay can you describe what cleaner eating looks like and healthy eating looks like the average person knows whether they do it or not but that scientific studies have shown that motivation and nutrition are tied very closely together maybe more closely than people give credence to mm-hmm. i know that you are big into nutrition and and Do you find that that motivates you? Do you feel like it motivates your clients? How do you pair those two together? Mm. Um,
1: I, for the most part, like food can be fun and that's great. Let food be fun and let it have those moments, but that should be the exception and not the norm. So I constantly remind myself that my food is my fuel for my brain and for my body. And if I want to fuel something properly, just like you want to, you know, put gas in your car, you want to get good gas for your car. And um, so I'm not trying to say that I never enjoy food and I never splurge, um, but the norm in our household um, is for us to eat a lot of vegetables, to eat anti-inflammatory foods, um, to drink water versus sodas or um sweet beverages um and to get really good sleep Um, there's like all these elements outside of just picking up my weights and lifting my weights right so i know that those all play part in not only how i feel um but also what i think about my body and myself like if i value this then i would constantly put things that were junky into it things that were creating more inflammation um things that were making me like crash really hard or make me feel super bloated or lethargic because that's counterintuitive to everything else i'm trying to do in my life all these things pair in their marriage right yeah you know when we absolutely. don't work out when we don't move when we don't exercise we feel kind of like yucky about ourselves like people tell me this all the time it's like I'm just not moving and I just don't feel good about my body okay that's great okay like you know how to fix that you know you got to move and you know you got to like start exercising you got to take more steps for thinking about these things um but when people are eating poorly they tell me the same thing I've just been eating really really crappy the last month and um I want to fix it okay great so now you need the power to like know how to fix that as well. And you might need a coach for that, or maybe you intuitively know that you should be eating less of the carbohydrates and, um, the sugary foods and having too much caffeine and not enough fiber and all of these elements. Because when you're fueling your body in a way that feels helpful and you're moving your body in a way that feels helpful, um, there's like a funny, like real TikTok about it, but like you are, you're nicer. And you're nicer to other people and then other people are nicer to you and you look in the mirror and you're (laughs) proud of yourself and when you're proud of yourself you like look upon other people and 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 think they're great too but if you can't it changes everything like it's game changer for not just like your physicality but like how you're experiencing life your energy right
0: so i I attribute
1: my energy that i fuel my my body in a way that i'm proud of that I'm valuing my body because of how I'm fueling it, and that I'm moving my body because I value it and care about it.
0: So and, you have the and it's translated and to you really have- good energy for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's amazing. So, you know, as we, as we go into this, I, I mentioned in your bio um, that you have been, you've always through life dealt with a neurological neuromuscular disease. Um, and if we can share with the audience, it's CMT, and you can go into that a little bit yeah. more. And, you know, obviously with that, there's uh, the brain is not just physical, as we talked about with nutrition and sleep and how we remember things, how we feel about things and on all these things. And it is obviously mental, but also emotional and for some many spiritual and living with CMT impacts uh, many of those centers, because it's not alone. For clients that I've had with Lyme disease and fibromyalgia, it's it's very similar Parkinson's. It's very similar in that it doesn't just stay physical, right? It impacts our emotions, our our mental structures, and everything else. But there are things that can be done to balance that parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system. There are things we can do To make us not have this fight or flight and and be able to balance this. Do you have any suggestions, thoughts, things you've done in your own world um, to be able to keep you as strong and happy and energetic as you are?
1: Mm. Um, This so CMT stands for Charcot Marie Tooth, and um, it is a neuromuscular disease um, that is hereditary that I was born with. that's experienced by multiple family members of mine and it causes um, nerve damage to lower limbs um, it can also affect your hands the list goes on of ways that it can affect and impact your life and i was about 13 or so when the doctors told me that um, i've been diagnosed with this And there was a lot of things that they told me I was not going to be able to do in my life and things that I was not going to be good at. Um, Things like running I was never going to be good at. Jumping um, that I would at some point maybe have to have walking assistance, whether that was leg braces or a cane or potentially a wheelchair. By the time I was in my 30s, if this progressed the normal way it does. Um, Doctors do what they're supposed to do. That was like an honest, like this is what the disease is. This is what happened. These are all the things that could impact your life. And your life can look very different from other people's. And I remember, it it was a young age, but looking at myself in the mirror that day when I got home, just quiet me in the bathroom. And being told that you are disabled and that you would live a disabled life, it, it scared me but not more than, not more than looking in the mirror every day at myself and seeing somebody that couldn't do things. And I swore to myself that I would do everything in my power to constantly discover the things that I could do despite the limitations that were on that list. And I have to tell you that even the things that are on that list, I've proven wrong because I've worked on my proprioception, because I have constantly revisited the hard things, um, because I wasn't willing to just like throw in the towel that like people with CMT constantly trip and fall, they have terrible balance, yada, yada, yada. Um, That I was gonna, okay, so you know, I know all this stuff about neurology too, like our balance is based on like multiple things. It's not just proprioception. You know, so it's my eyes, it's my inner ear. Those things are not affected by this disease that I have. So if I can upregulate those and make those stronger, I'm going to be less likely to fall. Um, even with my feet and like they say the nerve damage and like not being able to move my toes independently. I got myself a coach because the truth is that I didn't want to do it on my own. Like I just didn't have the, um, I would get too frustrated. I needed somebody there with me to encourage me to work on my feet. And um, I wanted to hit my head on the wall multiple times for weeks and weeks, Um, but my feet have gotten better. I can actually move my toes and um, my balance has greatly improved. During COVID, I started working out barefoot instead of with shoes on at the gym. Uh, My feet have gotten better. Uh, they've actually grown in size, which is a good thing for someone with CMT. So, all the things that I was told medically, like, not possible. The more I put attention on it and kept insisting, it's like the said principle, right? So, you want to tell them what the said principle is?
0: Yeah. So, the said principle is specific adaptation for things that you're applying, basically. So, anything imposed you want demand. to do? Yeah, impose demand. So, um, specific adaptation for imposed demands. So basically it's whatever you want to accomplish, you got to do that to accomplish that. It, 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 there's the transition and that information. So if she wants to move her toes, she needs to move her toes.
1: <laughs> At least put my brain there, right? And manually yeah. move it with my finger if I need to. Exactly. So it's like, I don't care who you are and what, like how old you are, what limitations somebody else put on you. If you care about something, you are going to get better at whatever you practice. That's what the said principle is. Whatever you want to get better at it. If you practice it, if you keep insisting, if you put the demand on it repeatedly, your brain will freaking figure it
0: out. It will. And it'll figure it out for so many reasons it'll figure it out because clearly it's important to you and you're putting so much time and effort into it so it's going to be like oh okay I, I get it she's not just doing this one time flicking her toe up she's doing it over and over and over again and and i we have to say the said principle is whatever you want to get better at you'll get better at but again whatever it is you're doing you have to be doing well at to be getting better at so if you do it poorly you're gonna get very good at doing it poorly, <laughs> um, but it, it's this whole transitional thing, and 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 I love this aspect of not being limited by your limitations, regardless of what those are. We all have them, but regardless of what those limitations are, being able to explore what you can do and suddenly push those thresholds of things that we're told that you couldn't do, which is just so uplifting and so mind-blowing and and really how the brain works. Yeah. There's no so Tara, age you...
1: lim- Okay, go ahead.
0: No no, go ahead. Yeah, no age limit. Absolutely no age limit. I mean just in
1: general that whatever and I suffer but I'm like very mentally like dead set on doing things but um I use myself as an example to others who who tell me in our sessions, oh, I just don't have good balance. And I'm like, oh, you don't have good balance. I don't have good balance. Like, you know, <laughs> but like, I need to practice it to get good at it. So we can't just put ourselves in a category and give ourselves a sentence of, I'm not good at balance, or I'm not coordinated, or I just don't have good, you know, hand-eye skills. And we give ourselves a sentence that that's like it, right?
0: And and that becomes the conversation that we talked about earlier, right? That constant inner dialogue of saying that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And when you start to see small improvements, even if they're small at first,
1: it gets you excited. You're like, there could be more. Like, we're in tapping something. If this was not a dead end, we might have thought it was a dead end. And if we can, like, make small, you know, chiseling way doing something well, like you said and getting a little better, even if it's 1% better, then we're like, hey, there's hope there.
0: There's hope. Well, and I think, I think that 1% better and acknowledging that it was 1% better, right? Because being 1% better is awesome, but acknowledging it now changes those neural pathways again in that, oh, she was proud of me, I was able to, I liked it, I'm gonna do more of it. And it, it, it helps steamroll that continual growth neurologically as well, which is going to be that much better than just physically trying to put those demands on yourself. Absolutely.
1: I mean, if I can encourage people like in their own journey is like, I went and got a coach, right? Like I said, I don't want to do the toe work on my own. I wasn't going to do it. And I was going to be hard on myself and I was probably going to cry. But if somebody was there and they were encouraging me, then I knew I was going to achieve, you know, the best coaches have coaches. And everybody can benefit from having a coach. You know, you don't have to have a coach like for forever, but get a coach to help you get to that 1% where you, you start to go, oh, wow, okay,
0: I can keep going. Like if I keep doing this, it's going to get better and better. Yeah. You mentioned proprioceptive work, right? Obviously, with the this impacts people with neuropathy, people that have gone through chemo and radiation treatments. I mean, this impacts a lot of people. And just proprioceptive work in general for people that have had acute injuries, um, studies have showed side by side that nothing you can do about it. An acute injury that leads to a lack of movement, movement directly the mechanoreceptors directly impact our proprioception skills. So if you're gonna have an injury and not move the limb, you're gonna have reduced proprioception in that limb for that period of time. And then it's on you to build it back up or bring that proprioceptive level back up. So. There's three types, proprioception, interception, and extraception. and all of them are critical for you in how you take in the world and and everyone, Uh, the interception of how we feel inside our bodies, and of course, the proprioception, which is understanding where our bodies are in space as we move along our world. How do you train these?
1: How do I train these for myself, uh, for people? Yeah. How do you train it for yourself? Um, for myself, um, proprioception work is not Instagrammable or like as sexy as like you might think, right? Like when people think of fitness, they don't necessarily think of proprioceptive work. Um, but you don't have to spend all your time doing proprioceptive. You need to know your own body and where you need proprioceptive work, right? I know I need it in my lower limbs because of my current condition. Um, I also did a ton of cycling. I taught indoor cycling for, you know, something like 10 years. I spent a lot of time hunched over. And so I have my own proprioceptive work that I need to do with my upper thoracic spine and with my neck because of a position that I was constantly in and putting strain on. So, Mm -hmm. you know, for people that are doing desk work all day, they might need to be like acknowledging like, hey, this might be an area where I need to spend very specific focused time pre my workout. So I have my own pre workout routine. Uh, it's not a beverage, it's just a pre workout routine <laughs> before I actually even lead a workout routine because I know what I need. I might need to throw on uh, these bad boys five minutes before I lead a workout. You know, it depends on yeah. the person. Um, I would say the majority of people need a lot more footwork than they think they need, Um, and that their hip knee might benefit greatly from them doing better work on proprioception with their feet. So I agree. I've encouraged people as they're working out from home to really get those shoes off. You really don't need it. Um, Unless you're doing high impact, lots of jumping, I would much rather you lunge, squat, plank, do all the things, barefoot. Take those socks off. The socks are also probably too small for your feet. Um, let things spread out. And their balance has gotten better because of it. Their lunges look more stable. And their hip mobility actually got better as well.
0: I mean, That's I don't preach in the choir with you, but for the most no, part. No, no, but it's, it's important. It's important for the audience to hear this because I think that, you know, something as simple as take your shoes off every once in a while to actually help you accomplish your goals is a really important thing to be heard. We don't, we don't do enough of it. We, we lock ourselves in shoes day in, day out all through the day. And, and ultimately what is it that we want in our own bodies to be more confident and capable of? And that's our actual feet, not our shoes.
1: Absolutely. I actually had a client during COVID who had orthotics prior to had like knee and hip stuff and had orthotics because of it. But then COVID hit and we started working out from home. I said, you're not wearing shoes anymore, take those off. We did a bunch of work on her feet, yada, yada, yada. Now she's going back to the gym. She put on those same orthotics and she had knee pain again because we had actually fixed what had happened with her foot, right? So we actually fixed that, uh, you know, anyway. I can
0: go on. Well, so you mentioned mentioned visual and vestibular being a part of balance training, being a part of the neural hierarchy. We bring it up every single month with these at-the-core conversations. You can't go without it. You have some vision drills that you've done to accomplish some of your goals. Um, We had been talking previously about some of the ways that you use vision to keep you motivated, to push past your comfort zones, to Mm -hmm. help you get, get bigger movements. Do You want to share some of those? Yeah. I mean, I can't
1: take credit for it because I stole it from my strength and um, conditioning coach. Um, but he did it like without necessarily knowing that I'm also into all of the vision drills that we've learned from, um, the neuroscience classes. Um, but that, um, when I'm in the, when I'm in intense intervals, so let's just use the bike as an example. Like a lot of people are familiar with indoor cycling. When I'm doing intervals on the bike, when I am feeling really good and I'm working really strong, I hone my eyes into a, like a fixed position um, on something very, very specific. And it's almost like I'm sinking my teeth into what I'm doing and I'm getting extra focus by taking my eyes to a certain spot when i hit the pain pit when i start to have conversations of your hands are really sweaty terry you should probably quit or you already did three workouts this week terry you should probably quit early on this interval so when i go into that really bad place um energetically mentally physically the lactic acids building up the burn is intense i don't focus my vision on a sweet spot i actually take my vision wider and i use my peripheral to see what's like around me. And sometimes that can energetically mean like seeing a person that's next to you doing the same interval and feeling motivated. Um, But it actually helps me to tap into the parasympathetic, to calm myself down from that like crazy place, right? To get myself mentally in a better state where I'm more calm and I can be more like specific about Okay, so where do we need to do better right now? You're in the pain pit, maybe you need to breathe better, but taking my vision outward and giving myself a wider view of things um, actually helps. And I, I got that simply from my strength and conditioning coach who said when you know, when you're feeling a lot of pain, just try to like look at a broader picture. And I was like, oh man, that is deep. Because I also think that taps into something bigger. like gratitude perspective like even just in daily life when you're in the pain pit in a relationship or at work is if I keep focusing on that one thing when things aren't going well in the relationship or when it's really stressful at work I just keep digging myself deeper and deeper into the hole instead of when I take my like perspective wider and I'm like oh okay well when I have a wider perspective I can I can better deal with stress at work or whatever
0: it is. I love it. I, I, I love the analogy of it too, because it, it absolutely works. And, and the reason for this, it, it's so interesting to me because we rarely work our peripherals. We're always so focused in. We're always looking at a phone. We're always narrowing our eye gaze. And ultimately, only two to three percent, I think, of what we see is in our fovea for a focal point. And the rest is our peripherals. And it goes back to this whole threat matrix of what feels comfortable to our brain. And the more we can see, the more we can perceive. The more we can perceive, the more we can react in accordance to to allowing our safety of of our bodies. And so yes, we're sitting on a bike. Yes, we know where we're at. We know we're not gonna fall over. We know no monster is gonna come out of the closet but yet expanding those peripherals and letting the brain decide that is all the difference in the world. So yeah, we absolutely do encourage peripheral widening and and this idea of being able to work on our peripherals, that helps our balance. It helps our pain management. It helps us feel more confident and more comfortable in our environment. And, And like you said, I love the analogy of taking that into thinking about things knit and gritty versus expanding our horizon, because it's the same thing, because it's all brain derived. It's all this aspect of what is threatening us. If we keep focusing on this one thing that's super threatening to us and we don't actually expand out to realize it's not actually going to kill us, it's not a big threat to us, um, we get stuck in it and it changes things for us. I think most of us know that being out in nature is
1: good for us. Right? to be healthier, to tap into the parasympathetic. Um, and part of that is using our lenses in a different way and not having our lenses always focused on close-up. But even when you're in your house, my lenses can only work to a certain distance, right? Like if I'm in a 600 square room, there's there's not all parts of my lenses being worked. I need to step outside into nature to be able to use those lenses in full. Something that really frustrates me is like I see people walking their dog around their neighborhood, and they are still like this walking their dog, and I'm like, you're out there with you the opportunity to get your vitamin D, to be in nature, to take in fresh air, and you're still taking in the world here, and we're not doing ourselves any kind of service. Um, and yeah, so peripheral vision. <laughs>
0: that I, love I love it. Yeah. I'm I like I, get off your phone. <laughs> I completely agree. I think it's so important in all these healthy aspects. And I really appreciate us talking this from so many different avenues of motivation. Because in previous episodes of At The Core, we've talked about fear and we've talked about you know reactive training. But ultimately, you can't do any of those without this conversation of motivation. How do we get ourselves motivated? How do we feel that desire for change and affect that change. So, Tara, we are going to do a lightning round. I do this with everybody. It's the same questions, and you are going to spit fire off the first thing that comes to mind. Hey, you didn't tell me about this ahead of time. (laughs) I did not. (laughs) All right, so working out. Morning, afternoon, or night? Morning. Sweet or salty? Sweet. Planks or squats? Planks. Shoes or barefoot? I think we know this one. Barefoot? Coffee or tea?
1: Ooh, it depends on the time of day. Uh, But if I only had to pick one, coffee.
0: Beach or mountains? Beach. Music or silence? Oh, silence. Heat or cold? Heat. Inside or outside? Outside. Jasmine or peppermint? Peppermint. Spontaneous or planned? Planned. Learn something new or perfect something known?
1: (sighs) Perfect something known.
0: This gets every single one of one of you guys. This was amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tara, for being here with us for talking with me. Is there anything else that we did not address that would be awesome for the audience to hear that you would like to share or anything else you would like to share on this platform?
1: Oh, I don't I mean,
0: find your motivation and keep the big mo
1: rolling. Keep it rolling, keep it rolling, keep it rolling. right? I uh, love- get yourself a coach. Coaches work. This is a great coach right here. Make sure
0: you're a great coach. Well, thank you so much. This was absolutely amazing. I hope that all of you gained some insight into a new aspect of neuroscience and fitness. And hopefully this conversation motivates you, motivates you to accomplish your goals, makes you realize that it's possible. And regardless of what anyone says, what matters most is what you think of yourself. And there are many, many ways to help you brighten that conversation within your mind. So thank you so much. And we look forward to seeing you again at At The Core. Thank you so much for joining me. And I hope you got something out of it. We'll have many more videos that help you with rehabbing your shoulder, low back, knees, and everything else that will allow you to be active and healthy through all the things that you love in life. Please feel free to follow us on all our various social media channels, and we hope to see you back